0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.
1: So, see Holland's, ever since the publication the some 30-odd years ago of... Ever since the publication some 30?
0: No, 66. 66, okay. that's 50, 45, 45, something like all that. Alright. <laughs>
1: uh, the publication of The Fire Drake, She has been c- considered by many to be the uh, America's uh, the most distinguished historical and the most serious historical novelist writing in America. With a series of some how many novels? 25? 30?
0: I don't, I don't anyway, count them. I don't count them. I'm right. not conscious. Remember? I
1: would disagree. I, I think of <laughs> Cecilia as one of the f- actually one of the finest novelists actually working in America today. And um, I don't say that to embarrass her, but it's true. Uh, so um, there's a bit of a break, but we'll talk about the continuity later. And um, Cecilia Holland.
0: Thank you. She was getting old, she thought, as she rode toward the field. That was what it meant, that she had given so little thought to her clothes and her hair, worn the comfortable green habit, the easy shoes, wished she could get out of the appearance altogether and do something interesting, like read. But she could not let this happen without her, and when she nudged a horse up the little slope onto the pitch, the roaring crowd, the banners streaming all along the sidelines, the whole stirring excitement lifted her like a wave. With a yell, the people saw her, and her name went up from a hundred throats. She lifted one hand to them, and the cheering redoubled. She jogged her horse along the east sideline toward the royal booth at the midline of the field, where some old plane trees would give a little shade in the afternoon. She had told her husband she would sit next to him, and two chairs waited on the raised platform under the awning, but not the king. Half a dozen men in splendid coats loitered on the grass. As she rode up, they leapt forward to hold her horse, help her dismount, take her arm. She dismounted by herself and waved off the arm, which belonged to William Marshall. If she had been younger, she would have had William on his back by noon. She climbed the little step onto the booth and sat down and let her woman fuss over her, straightening her skirts and sleeves. She looked out over the broad field. The winter of wind was brisk and made the banners snap. All around the field the crowd churned, calling out, whistling, eager for a glimpse of the great ones. The day was cloudless and blazing with sunshine, an omen for the king's treaty, laying down the family fortunes for good and all. And there, before her, was her family. Her oldest daughter had gone off the year before to Germany to be married, and the Queen still missed her much, but the others made her glad of heart. Young Henry rode a fine chestnut horse along the sideline. His head turned a little away from her. He sat very straight in his saddle, as if he wished himself taller. He drew a ripple of a cheer, and she warmed with pleasure. All loved him. She could see Geoffrey down the way, in the middle of his own crowd, and there, coming toward her, was Richard, her dear. Twelve years old, gawky as a young lion, he drew all eyes as he passed. His sisters trailed him, gambling like little goats on the beaten grass. She cast a glance across the field toward the French pavilion, where likely Louis sat. She thought it must gnaw at the king of France to see the field where he could not sprout a sun, grown so fruitful under another man's plowing. She sat back, surprised at how she gloated at this. Not a good woman, she. Almost at the foot of the booth, Richard had stopped to talk to someone, and her little girls ran to him. Nora caught his hand to swing from it, and small Joanna bounded backwards before him, shrilling laughter. Their lazy-footed nurses straggled after. Joanna tumbled, and before she could cry out, Richard scooped her up and set her on his shoulder. He took Nora's hand and walked to the royal booth. The girls came up onto the booth on either side of their mother and leaned on her, and she kissed them each. Joanna's face was dirty and her her dress grass-stained. Nora kept better care of herself. Nora, she thought, had a mind. Eleanor beckoned to their nurses to take them off and dress them for the ceremonies. Richard stood before her, his face flaming, jittery with excitement. His fair hair was a wild tangle from the wind. Mother, when will Papa get here? He bounced up and down, vivid. I can't wait, I can't wait. I'm going to be Duke of Aquitaine. She gripped his arm to hold him still. You should get ready for the ceremony. A horn blew down the pitch. See, here your father comes. Go find your coat. She turned beckoned to a page. Attend the Lord, Richard. She looked into Richard's wide blue eyes. Comb your hair. She squeezed his arm in love. A ripple of excitement rose through the crowd like a wind in a dry field, turned to a rumble and erupted into a thunderous cheer. Down the pitch came a column of riders. Henry in the middle, wearing no crown or royal robes, nothing to show him king save his bearing, and that was enough. She glanced at Louis Pavilion, wondering if the French king were there yet. He made so little presents it was hard to tell. Henry swung directly from his saddle to the booth. He was smiling, his eyes shifting, his clothes rumpled, his beard and hair shaggy. All along the sideline of the field on either side of the booth, his knights rode up in a single rank, stirrup to stirrup, facing the French on the other side. He stood looking out across the field, and his gaze fell on Richard, standing stiff and tall before him. Well, sirrah," the king said, are you ready to shiver a lance here? Oh, Papa, Richard jumped, up, bounced up and down. Can I? Henry laughed at him, looking down at him from the height of the booth. Not until you can pay your own ransoms when you lose. Richard flushed, dark red. I won't lose. No, of course not. Henry waved him off. Nobody ever loses, sirrah. (laughs) He laughed again, scornful, turning away. When you're older. Richard drooped, lingered a moment, and followed the page away. His father settled himself in a chair, kicked his feet out, and for the first time looked full at her sitting beside him. You look amazingly well, considering. I'm surprised your old bones made it all the way from Poitiers. I would not miss this, she said, and it's a pleasant enough ride. She let her gaze travel over his clothes. Eggs for breakfast, or was that last night's supper? (laughs) He did not look down at his coat, his face flattened with temper. What a prissy old woman you are. You didn't bring your girlfriend. He leaned toward her a little as if he would leap on her, pound her maybe with his fist. She's afraid of you. She won't come anywhere near you. Eleanor laughed. She had no argument with Rosamond Clifford, who was probably afraid of the dark. She regarded her husband with another calculating look. Henry was still robust, high-colored, ferocious. He had just cleaned out a rebellion of the Lusignans in Poitou, and the high sheen of victory stood on his ruddy brow. At such things, he was superb. At other things, not, she said. You'll give the kiss, kiss of peace to Beckett? Yes, yes, he said. I thought you hated him. I need him now. I have to have an archbishop for these coronations. After I've tended to the rest of it, he'll come in. We'll have a big falling together and all mend it. She did hate Beckett, but that mattered little now. The rest of it, she said, this is not a good idea, you know, dividing everything up. We spent years putting this realm together, and now you'll tear it apart. Nothing's really going to change. Keep your long nose out of my doings. I thought you were going into seclusion. I see the traps and deadfalls here, which you do not. As for the seclusion, she interpreted her move back to Poitiers in rather a different way. I will still have the whole domain under me, like Poitou now, you see. My law is the only law. His face softened slightly, his gray eyes speculative, looking her over. They had not seen each other for months. He leaned toward her, his fingers reaching toward her sleeve. He said, perhaps we could, old times' sake. She twitched her arm out of his reach, staring at him. Not to save my life. He laughed as he had laughed at Richard, but he lurched upward again and his face darkened old, dried-up husk. How long has it been since the blood ran hot? Shall I have them bring you a shawl? Have them bring you a cup that will serve you better. An excellent idea, he turned, waved a hand, called to someone else, sat slouched in the chair in a pose of exaggerated ease. On the field, in their fine clothes now, Richard and young Henry were riding at each other, weaponless, only putting their horses in feints and charges. Richard had lost his cap and his long fair hair streamed out like a banner. She smiled to see them, lithe and strong, her children. His also, of course, he said. At least they ride like Angevins." A pity, she said. Have you finally done in Poitou now? The rebellion over. She wanted him out of Aquitaine. It certainly took you long enough. You let it get out of hand. I still need to make sure they tear down those castles. He shifted a little, leaning toward her again. And you're going back to Poitiers when we're done here? Yes, she said. Well, I'm sending a few men along with you to prevent this kind of thing from happening again. No, she said, and turned to look straight at him. Yes. No, she said. They're just clerks. No, his clerks always came with detailed instructions. I will rule in Aquitaine. Keep your clerks to yourself. His eyes glinted. You let Lusignan and Angoulême run wild. It took me a while to get your attention, she said. Now you can go attend to something else. Resting on his thigh, his hand rolled into a fist. They stared at each other a while until he looked away. She was sui jure, duchess in Aquitaine, beyond his reach, if not his limitless greed for power. Her heart pounded, aggravated. She faced the field again, the back of her neck rough. They were here to make peace between him and Louis, but between her and Henry, there was no peace. So be it, she thought. He is so good at war. We'll see how good he is at another kind of war.